Henry, you were gone for two weeks, and we had the largest ransomware attack in history. We have this huge thing going on with Pegasus. Like, this is why you can't take time off, man. <laughs> Everything just falls apart. Sorry, Welcome to man. Surveillance Report 48. <laughs> Welcome to Surveillance Report 48, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report is going to recap some of the most notable events in the last couple of weeks because we have been away. We're going to talk about, like I said, the largest ransomware attack in history, the whole Kessia thing. We're going to talk about a big Microsoft vulnerability. We're going to talk about Pegasus and all of that. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore, and it's nice to be back. It's nice to have you back. We didn't talk about a promo spot. Do you have one ready? Yeah, yeah. Patreon. Join our Patreon because, like, even when we were gone, I was still kind of like interacting with some of our supporters, and you guys are all sweet, and it's really nice to talk to all of you. Um, but we have some cool perks for people who want to support us. Um, if you don't, we have other free methods to support what we do too. We like this podcast, so even taking two weeks off was like, I'm, I'm just so happy to be back. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I was surprised to see you in Matrix. I was like, oh, I thought he was supposed to be gone on vacation, but I mean, hey, good to see you. Okay, so as always, we're gonna start off with our data breaches. We're gonna blow through all of this really, really fast, like everything, not just data breaches. So uh, by all means, if there, you want more information on a story, stories are always in the show notes as always. So, so here's data breaches. First off, Clubhouse. This one is not 100%. There's a uh, InfoSec researcher on Twitter named Mark Ruff, I think. He's claiming there's 3.8 billion phone numbers that are related to Clubhouse accounts. It's both members and contact lists of members. Some people in the comments are saying that there's no way to verify that because it's just a list of phone numbers, but you know, if we learn anything more about that, we'll let you know. LinkedIn has had another scrape. Once again, this is not a data breach, this is a scrape. This is their third one in four months. This is 600 million records, full names, email addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, and other public data. This appears to be more recent than the last one, which was kind of a combination. The pro-Trump Getter Social Network. Once again, this is another data scrape. 87,973 records, email addresses, dates of birth, or birth year, location, quote-unquote, other internal site data, and more. This was a Twitter alternative founded by a former Trump advisor named Jason Miller. The insurance giant CNA, which is the seventh largest commercial insurance firm in the U.S., and ironically, they offer cyber insurance, among other things, for both business and individuals. They had over 75,000 individuals impacted, including names, social security numbers, and in certain cases, health benefits. Saudi Aramco, the oil company, had one terabyte of data stolen. The files date from 93, 1993 to 2020. That includes employee names, photos, passport copies, like copies of the passport, that's horrifying. Email, phone number, residence, permit number, family information, and more. It also includes company data like project specifications, internal reports and documents, memos, network layouts like IP addresses and stuff like that, maps, client contracts and invoices, and more. We don't know how many of those were compromised, but the employees were 14,254. And then, like all the other stuff. The fashion retailer Guess suffered a ransomware attack. Information that was potentially exposed includes social security numbers, driver's license numbers, passport numbers, and or financial account numbers, credit debit card numbers, with security code, access code, password, or PIN. There were just over 1,300 of those. That is way more information that somebody needs when they're selling you a shirt. Just throwing that out there. Morgan Stanley has reported a data breach because of Excellion. Here we are six months later, and we're still dealing with Excellion. So it wasn't them to their defense. It was a third-party account maintenance you know, managed service thing. They're called Guidehouse. Guidehouse, to their defense, they did patch the vulnerability within five days of hearing about it back in January. But 
you know, it happened before they patched it. I, I guess they were quick or something. Anyways, they found out about this between March and May. Stolen files were encrypted, but unfortunately the keys were also stolen. So remember not to keep your passwords in the same place as your encrypted files. The data that was accessed include names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, and names of companies. They did not say how many people were infected. Mint Mobile had a data breach. This one was kind of big in the privacy community. This included names, address, phone number, email address, password, billing amount and international call detail information, account number and subscription features. They also did not disclose how many people this was, but they said it was a very small number of subscribers. They had their phone numbers ported. If you listen to Michael Basil's podcast, he thinks that this was probably related to like crypto and people using SMS two-factor authentication. So it was probably people trying to get into like crypto wallets. The story there is to remember to use software two-factor or hardware, just pretty much anything other than SMS if you can. And Henry, you had some thoughts on this one. Yeah, and actually, um, one thing I wanted to add is we've commonly recommended Mint Mobile as well, as I know Michael Michael Basil does, and it's a pretty commonly thrown around thing to recommend because you can get it prepaid with little information. So the lesson here, I use Mint Mobile for some stuff as well. I don't really give a crap about this data breach because I bought it with cash at a local store and it has absolutely zero information tied to me. So that's why like, we always recommend if something doesn't need information, you never know what's going to happen. Even if it's something that we recommend for privacy reasons, it's good to assume everything you use will be breached. So when this stuff happens, like yes, it's still a big deal, but it's not going to impact you as greatly. So little lesson, um, just make sure you're always watching your back with this stuff. Zero trust, exactly. Spreadshop was a e-commerce site where you can sell your merchandise. They were hit by a cyber attack. The information that they leaked included addresses, quote, contractual data belonging to customers, partners, employees, and external suppliers, unquote, customer payment details if a bank transfer was used, password hashes prior to 2014, and PayPal addresses. I really want to know why they have password hashes from 2014. Maybe that's for like existing customers. I don't know. Anyways, once again, they did not disclose how many people. The state of Mississippi, one of their healthcare systems had a data breach. It included names, addresses, social security numbers, medical insurance information, and health and treatment information. I'm always sad to hear about these ones because I strongly encourage people never ever to lie to your doctor, but like, man, it really sucks when this stuff gets leaked. There was a, <laughs> this one is funny actually. There was a law firm, I didn't think to write down their name, I'm sorry, but they serve a lot of Fortune 500 companies, including Apple, Boeing, British Airways, Chrysler, ExxonMobil, Fisher Price, Honda, IBM, Jaguar, Monsanto, Toyota, US Airways, and others. And they had a ransomware attack, Possible data, they're still evaluating, but possible data accessed includes names, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license, state ID numbers, financial account info, passport numbers, card info, medical and health insurance info, biometric data, and account credentials. So a lot of passport numbers this week, well, this month. And our last one is the state of Massachusetts. They had a third party software as a service that got hacked. There was a, believe that's a terabyte of data, a thousand gigs. I'm really bad at math, I apologize. Over 1.6 million files from several municipalities. They found over 80 misconfigured Amazon S3 buckets. So take a shot. There's always that. Take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> uh, and the data range from like deeds, property taxes, business licenses, job applications. Data included email addresses, physical address, phone numbers, driver's license numbers, tax information, and photos. The buckets have since been dis secured, but they have not said how many people may have been impacted. Wow, that's a lot of data breaches. 
Yep. <laughs> Everything, the whole world burned down. We're going to move into companies, and we're going to start with the biggest story that's been in the headlines for the last couple weeks. Kesia is a popular enterprise IT software as a service firm. They were attacked by R-Evil, who is the same group that did the whole JBS, Meatpacker, Colonial Pipeline, those two. So those guys have been in a role. The attack started, I believe, on July 2nd. And the way they got in was by using a zero-day in Kesia's VSA remote monitoring software, which is used on PCs, servers, printers, networks, and point-of-sale systems. R-Evil claims they compromised over a million systems. The attack trickled down. It affected... Uh, the exact number is kind of debated. I, I didn't really get a clear number, but I, I believe it was over 1,500 other customers in 22 countries. A popular example is that, like, went around in a lot of the articles. There was a major Swedish supermarket chain called Coop. They had to totally shut down for a couple of days. So this really hit some people pretty hard. Our evil initially demanded $70 million as a ransom. They later dropped that down to $50 million. They also did steal data. They didn't just encrypt it. You know, there's that whole like double pressure tactic where it's like pay us or we'll release the data. So they didn't release it, but they did steal the data. Kesia released a detection tool to inspect any suspected systems. So if, you know, people thought they were inf inspected by this, they could download the tool. And they advised customers to implement multi-factor authentication, lock down privileges on their devices and their networks, the usual thing. The, <laughs> unfortunately, things got even more dramatic because there were some people out there who used this opportunity to push out a fake VSA update that delivered malicious payloads. They did this primarily via phishing emails. So, you know, reminder, always beware of phishing. By July 11th, Kesia had rolled out an update that patched three of the VSA zero days that were used in this attack. So they basically patched up the front door. People couldn't get in anymore, back door as it were. They claimed in that press release that they had restored service to all of their remote customers, but they were still working on some on-premise customers that wanted additional support. Now that that is mostly blown over, there's still some kind of confusing things going on. Like for example, in uh, April, according to certain former employees, in April, Kesia had been warned about seven bugs, including those three that they fixed. Those were by researchers, responsible disclosure, but they never fixed it. There were also other employees who said that they had brought up numerous issues between 2017 and 2020 that were also never addressed. Kesia refused to respond to those allegations. They actually had something kind of dismissive. It's in one of the source or one of the notes. The really interesting thing for me is on July 12th, our evil just disappeared off the face of the earth. It happened around 1 a.m. Eastern time. A lot of their infrastructure, their websites, all of it just vanished. So... There's obviously there's a lot of speculation. We don't actually know what's happened at this point in time, but rumor has it that uh, there was a government subpoena for the server content, so they wiped the servers. There's also some rumor and speculation that maybe their R Evil's representative was compromised by law enforcement, like maybe law enforcement had arrested him and turned him into an informant. There's also another one that I'll talk about in a second. On July 22nd, this is the most recent development, Kesia had obtained a universal decryptor from a quote, trusted third party but they can't share any more information about the source. So uh, the current speculation from Bleeping Computer says that Russia ordered our evil to shut down in order to show cooperation with the US, because for those who don't know, Biden recently talked to Putin and was basically like, dude, you gotta crack down on, on ransomware. It's getting pretty bad from your part of the world. Anyways, they think Russia may have ordered our evil to shut down and then passed along the decryptor as a show of goodwill. There are multiple law enforcement agencies around the world that say they were not involved in our evil's disappearance and the U.S. is not commenting. Nobody has said whether or not the ransom has been paid. So, yeah, that uh, I'm, I'm sure this will be in the news for quite a while. This is the largest ransomware attack in history that we were kind of alluding to earlier. And if we learn anything new, we will update you guys. 
All right, so now I am gonna go ahead and cover kind of the big tech company news this week, starting with Microsoft. So there is a new uh, cool thing called Print Nightmare. So on June 30th, researchers uncovered a critical Windows print spooler vulnerability that allowed remote code execution, which was called Print Nightmare. Um, also, unfortunately, because of something that went wrong, the vulnerability was publicly disclosed before publicly disclosed before it was patched, which is not normally a good thing because it could now be used in the wild. The immediate workaround was to just disable the whole spooler service altogether, but Microsoft rushed to release a patch on July 6th, but it still hasn't fully addressed the issues as there were some mitigations that still bypassed that. Microsoft has now released additional notes on how to correctly apply the patch for a full fix, which is in the show notes. Quick note, I uh, I did actually check those those notes myself, and apparently my computer is not in, not affected. So, yeah, if you're curious, you can go ahead and and you use Windows. You can they walk you through how to check and see like if you're affected. Here's how to find out. If you're not, no worries. Up next, we're gonna move over to Windows 11. So there's three quick Windows 11 updates. One, there's an article from ZDNet about some of the security improvements in Windows 11. For those of you wondering why Windows 11 needs TPM, which has been a very common question, um, and also certain processors, this will break it down into simple language. It's done to improve Windows security. I know some people might argue other things, but that's ultimately the reason why they are doing that. Point two, at this point in time, Windows 11 is expected to make it much harder to change your default browser. That may still change before the official release, and I'm sure there'll still be a reason to do it, but be ready or there'll still be a way to do it, but just be ready for that. Last time we spoke, we talked about how it seems like you need to have a Microsoft account. Um, there is currently, again, these are all just like, these aren't official releases yet, but there is a current bypass for that. Um, if you disconnect yourself from the internet and you put in a fake email, it will let you then proceed through another button like continue later and still be able to get access to Windows 11. So as of right now, it seems like it is possible to use Windows 11 without a Microsoft account. But again, this isn't an official release yet. Now we're gonna move over to Apple news. So um, the title for this one is Apple's App Tracking Transparency Framework Causing Advertisers to Spend More Money. Um, so there's been a lot of doubt, especially in the privacy community on like the effectiveness of ATT, which is um, the new, uh, new pop-ups, the Apple pop-ups for like uh, consenting to advertising. Um, and according to this article, it's actually effective. And we know this because advertisers have started abandoning Apple ads and putting more money into Android ads because it's much more personalized uh, because they get more user data from that. Um, and it's just a better bang for their buck. So I know a lot of people don't like Apple, but this is a major win and you should pat them on the back when they do something well and you can still criticize them for other things. You know, not everything's so black and white out there, people. Up next, Macs have a relatively small kernel, which is augmented by extensions to allow for more capabilities and functionality. Um, this is also going to give some extensions, which are third parties, a lot of privilege. Um, and Apple has now started to move away from this. So they're finally providing support that would make extensions run at a less privileged level, which is more feasible and it also improves your security. So long story short, um, this should make things a little bit more secure on your Mac. And the final Apple news, this is a story of some bad facial ID technology. So there was a, a, a black New Yorker who had a photoless learner's permit in March 2018 and then lost it. And then he got it replaced by one with a photo. At the same time, a shoplifter was arrested and used the missing ID and claimed to be that individual. Police didn't verify any of this and the person's face was then entered into the system. Um, and eventually the imposter did so much shoplifting that the police did obtain a warrant and arrested the other guy. 
um, the innocent man who was being imitated. During the investigation, the thief was identified as someone else who was a friend of the person he accused, who's a crappy friend who stole his permit. Um, and now they're suing Apple, who was a contractor for the company responsible for this, for knowingly entering the information into the system incorrectly when there was very sufficient evidence that they weren't the same people, like basic height discrepancies and things like that. So um, this is an unfolding story and we're gonna see what happens with that. Up next, we have Amazon. Amazon has now uh, started rolling out Ring end-to-end -end encryption. Again, we discourage the use of Amazon, we discourage the use of Ring, but if you have to use Ring for any reason, make sure to enable this. I don't believe it's on by default. Um, so you have to enable it in the US for now and then other places will get it soon as well. This will keep people out of your footage without your consent, including police and Amazon. And I know people are gonna be like, how do you know it's actually end-to-end -end encryption? There's some trust involved there, but I don't think Amazon would lie about something like that. I'd rather take the risk. Uh, just, you know, your whole, like, there's some trust involved there. I mean, what have you got to lose? Like. Worst exactly. case scenario, it's not encrypted and you're in the same boat as you were before, so go ahead and enable it anyways. Exactly. I mean, if you already have a ring, you might as well enable this. But um, this wouldn't be a reason for me to go, okay, now rings are totally safe and you shouldn't get rings. That's, that's <laughs> oh, not what God. we're saying. But I know someone in the comments is going to go, I can't believe you recommend rings. Now we're going to move over to Facebook. So a Facebook engineer has abused access to user data to track down a woman who had left their hotel room after they fought on vacation. Ooh, oh, how awesome. Um, there's nothing new here to um, people who know Facebook and many of their issues, but this story made a few rounds, so it's gonna be worth mentioning. There's a new book coming out that's highlighting some of Facebook's practices, and this article outlines a few of them. Um, an example includes a Facebook employee, the one I just mentioned, how he tried to track down someone on vacation and she left him um, and then they got in a fight. A different employee who went on one date with a woman then dug up her profile after she ghosted him there's just so many stories like this. Um, there's not many safeguards at Facebook to protect users from nosy employees. And um, that's something Nathan brings up a lot. It's like, you know, we always talk about the technical security and the technical privacy, but a lot of these companies, you're also trusting real people with your information as well. And then finally, the last big company news is from TikTok. Uh, TikTok is teaming up with a number of companies like Chipotle, Target, Shopify, and more to allow for video resumes to be submitted which is just really funky. Yeah, I just, I, I read that to my partner and she's an avid TikTok user. She knows the issues. I've, I've tried to get her off it, but it is what it is. And yeah, when I told her that she was like, oh God, why? No. So yeah, even, even TikTok users are like, dude, why? Yeah, that's just a weird one. <laughs> so we got a few miscellaneous tech stories. Uh, we're gonna start off with kind of a bigger one. DuckDuckGo is getting into the email protection business. They are offering forwarding email addresses, kind of like a non-addy or simple login. And what really sets them apart is they claim that they will be able to strip tracking content out of your emails, hopefully without breaking the email. Because for example, if you're like me and you have remote content disabled, sometimes you'll get an email where nothing shows up because the entire email is remote content and you have to load it in. They claim that they're gonna be able to get rid of the tracking stuff without breaking the whole email like that. I have signed up for the waitlist. I will be more than happy to update you guys once I get in and I know more. It is important to remember that technically this means that DuckDuckGo will be able to see your emails. So if you decide to go this route, make sure that you trust them either with whatever emails you choose to trust them with or just overall as a company, you know, just be aware of that. You know, we just talked about rogue employees. There's a Chinese mobile game developer called Tencent, and they are going to begin using facial recognition to ensure that minors are not gaming between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. in order to fight gaming addiction. You could just make your games less addicting, but uh, who am I to tell you how to run your business? Anyone who refuses to like accept the facial recognition or they fail the facial recognition will basically be treated as a minor and will be cut off during those hours. This 
currently appears to be limited to China. They didn't explicitly say that in the article, but that's what I understood. However, I mean, you know, Pandora's box. Now that somebody's doing this, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in the West decides to start doing that as well. A quick note about D-Link, the DRI3040 router had a major vulnerability, so if you have that router, go ahead and fix it. And for the rest of us, the moral is to remember to keep your firmware updated and buy gear that actually gets updated. Our last story is about the Akami DNS, which had an outage and basically took down a whole swath of the internet. And unfortunately, we're seeing this a lot lately. This is what, like the third or fourth one in the past year? eight months, something like that. Anyways, it affected sites like Steam, PlayStation Network, Newegg, Amazon, Google, Salesforce. I would be really sad because I use Steam and Newegg. Centralized internet, centralized anything. That's that's a bummer. Now we're gonna go ahead and move on to research, starting with Kaspersky, the, traditionally the antivirus, but they have a password manager as well. Essentially, the Kaspersky password manager was built wrong by the cryptographers, so it wasn't giving truly random passwords, which could be brute force extremely e easily, even though they were randomly, quote, randomly generated. The author claims that these could be brute force in seconds. So the moral here is to stay away from proprietary stuff, if you can, where this could be more easily caught. So check out Bitwarden and KeyPassXE, which are all are two recommendations because they're both open source and they're pretty much the best thing you can get right now. Our next story is about Cloudflare and uh, this is another centralization issue. A Cloudflare CDN flaw allowed for the compromise of 12% of all sites. It was actually closer to 13. Uh, CDNJS is a Cloudflare managed free open source JavaScript and CSS library and for those of you who don't know, libraries are really popular for developers because then they don't have to build all the code from the ground up. Recently, researchers found that there was a vulnerability that, long story short, if you follow it the chain, it could lead all the way up to remote code execution. This affected, again, about 12.7% of all websites on the internet, all of them. So Cloudflare has fixed this. If you want details on how it worked and the fix from both Believing Computer and Cloudflare, we will have those links in the notes. Our next story is about Telegram, the messenger. Um, they have now uncovered four new vulnerabilities in Telegram. So the weaknesses range from technically trivial and easy to exploit to more advanced uh, and of theoretical interest, um, according to the analysis. Ultimately, they proved that the four key issues uh, could be done better, more securely, and in a more trustworthy manner with a standard approach to cryptography. Um, this is not the first time, and it probably won't be the last time that Telegram comes under fire for some of their security practices. There's a full paper you can read to really look into this down in the sources. Kind of our general stance on Telegram, at least mine, and I think Nathan's on a similar boat. Um, it's fine. You have to enable end-to-end -end encryption for people. It's fine, but there's like way better options out there than Telegram. In our last research story, a researcher named Andrew Hintz has presented a method of traffic analysis using the safe web proxy that would allow an attacker to determine what website a visitor is visiting. Seems kind of like a, um, almost like a Tor, like traffic correlation kind of thing. The paper, if I read it correctly, uh, the paper suggests that this is kind of a high level attack, so it's probably not going to affect most day-to-day -day users. However, it's still an interesting read and it's worth knowing about and just, you know, being aware that Anytime there's a digital footprint, you are at risk, unfortunately. Okay, so now we're going to roll into politics, and this is an ongoing story that I'm sure you have all heard about. We're going to talk about Pegasus. So this started July 18th, which was... Oh, wow, earlier this week. I can't believe it's only been that short amount of time. But it's actually been happening for a long time. So there's an Israeli spyware company called the NSO Group. We've definitely mentioned them before a couple times. They are one of the best spyware companies out there. They work for, like, high-level government. Like, we're talking about the zero-click exploit, like the stuff you see in movies. These guys are, like, top of the game. 
And one of their most prolific spywares that I know we've mentioned in the past is called Pegasus. It's, you know, again, we've talked about this. It's been known about for a while. However, what we didn't know was the scale at which this is being deployed. A recent investigation has shown that Pegasus is being used against activists, journalists, lawyers, and even some politicians. This is especially interesting because NSO says that the terms of service, like Pegasus comes with terms of service, and it's only supposed to be used against suspected criminals and terrorists which, you know, that's already giving people a lot of leeway, but anyways. And the company even claims that it vets its clients. Remember that, because that's going to come into play in a second. Just to recap, Pegasus is one of those zero-click exploits. It works on both iOS and Android. Zero-click, by the way, means that it just works. Like, you don't have to fall for a phishing email or anything. It just, they send it to you, and it's there. So it's on your phone. There's really not much you can do about that. It is capable of extracting messages, photos, emails. It can record calls. It can even activate the microphone. It can do all of that remotely. There's a French nonprofit called Forbidden Stories, and there's Amnesty International, who is pretty well known. They came into possession of a 50,000 phone number list that was allegedly hacked from a NSO server in Cyprus. And that those phone numbers were people that were either currently exploited or they tried to be exploited. The numbers also belong to, again, business executives, religious figures, academics, uh, nonprofit employees, and more. Some of the numbers did also belong to known terrorists, suggesting that it was being used for the intended purpose, but again, a lot of it also did not. Uh, I don't think they said exactly how many, or maybe I missed that. An example of some notable targets that are hopefully not terrorists are the French President Emmanuel Macron, he was on the list, and the founder of Telegram was on the list. So yeah, they're, they're definitely going way beyond the terms of service. NSO has had some interesting responses. So for starters, they stated that they are not to blame for this and that we should be mad at the governments and the, the clients using this. They said criticizing them is, quote, like criticizing a car manufacturer when a drunk driver crashes, which I thought you vetted your customers. So I don't see why it's unfair to blame you. This is just my personal opinion. I don't see why it's unfair to blame you. Second, they also said that they didn't keep any customer data but then they also, in the same breath, they said that their customers target an average of 100 people a year. So first of all, how do you know that if you don't keep any customer data? But that was like their argument, like, well, this list is bogus because there's way too many phone numbers on this list. I'm not making this up. They said that if you're not a criminal, you shouldn't be worried about this. I'm not even going to comment on that one. Some of the fallout of this. Uh, there have been calls for Apple to improve their security. I think Android should too, but everybody's really harping on Apple because they're the ones who are all like, oh, we're super secure and super private. And so, you know, everybody's like, Apple, what the heck? Edward Snowden, of course, has weighed in. He says that we should ban the exportation of spyware and licenses. Like, you shouldn't be allowed to sell this stuff across national borders. Again, so the, like, like we said at the top, the situation is still unfolding. There's been a lot of backlash. There's a lot of government investigations and inquiries going on. We are definitely going to hear more about this in the coming weeks, and we will do our best to keep you updated. In the meantime, there will be a link in the description, the official Amnesty International tool that you can download to check for compromise. I downloaded it. It turns out it needs a backup of my iPhone, which I'm ashamed to admit I haven't made in a while, so I'll, I'll check that later. Personally, I'm not a president, so I doubt that I'm targeted, but I'd still like to check just to know. So the tool was easy enough to download. I'll let you guys know if it's easy to use. Our next story is going to be about MobileCoin, which isn't a name we've heard in a while. That's the Signal controversy. The cryptocurrency is going to be integrated with Signal. MobileCoin has now joined the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, as an organizational member, which means they've donated at least $10,000 USD. We both, Nick wrote these notes, but I'm over here also like, yeah, this seems like an attempt to buy their way back. 
into the the good graces of the privacy community after their recent uh, we call it a scandal nothing really happened but like they, it was just not well received by the privacy community up next colorado has become the latest state to pass data privacy laws this was signed into law on july 7th which allows consumers to request their data not to be sold and to access uh whatever data companies currently have about them they can also ask for the deletion of the data and companies must ask consent to hold sensitive data um, this is very similar to other privacy laws it's not perfect but it's considered a good step forward and on a similar note, uh, New York has a new biometric privacy law, which has taken effect. Um, businesses that collect biometric data, like facial recognition, are now required to prominently post notifications for customers. Businesses, businesses are also barred from selling or sharing the data that they collect, which is also good. All right, our last U.S. story is going to go back to January 6th. A judge is forcing one of the accused U.S. Capitol rioters to unlock their laptop, which was seized by the FBI. So this was a kind of a misleading headline. Shocker from CNN, I know. A judge has ruled, basically, the police had a guy in custody. His laptop has, like, facial recognition unlock. So the judge said, yeah, you can go ahead and point it at his face and unlock it. That's, I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. So, um, yeah, just the moral there is to remember to be careful of biometric locks. Like, a lot of security people think they're really good, and there's certainly something to be said for that, but also they can backfire in many ways as well. Okay, so our next story, we're going to go overseas. We're going to go to the EU. This was kind of a big story, and uh, we want to clear up a lot of the misinformation that's been spreading around. So the European Union approved something called chat control. What this is, is it gives companies legal protection in order to monitor the metadata to find potential child sexual abuse. So for example, if two people are texting and they are vastly different ages, or one of them is underage, that's metadata, they can monitor that. It does not mandate that all communications must be scanned. It does not protect the bulk scanning of communications. In fact, it even specifically says to do this in a way that's privacy respecting. And like, I, I know I don't like this either, but I'm just saying, I've been seeing these rumors float around and we have to correct them. It's, it's not saying that they have to scan everybody. It's not saying that, you know, they're not even supposed to be scanning. They're only supposed to be using the metadata. The other big piece of misinformation I've seen spreading around, this does not require a backdoor into end-to-end -end encryption. In fact, this specifically says this has nothing to do with end-to-end -end encryption. We'll tackle that in another vote. So, correcting the record there. The moral here, go ahead and switch to end-to-end -end encrypted messengers anyways. You should already be using, like, Signal or Wire or Matrix or Session or, you know, something better. Up next, we're going to move over to Victoria, who is going to trial a smart bike light tech to increase the road safety for cyclists. Yes. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things there. This is a 12-month Light Insights trial, LIT, which is a pretty cool acronym, um, that will see 1,000 Victorians given access to smart bike lights from Northern Ireland cycling technology company. C.Sense is the company um, that the state's going to use to capture road safety data. The light's going to operate in conjunction with a smartphone and will record data like crash events, abrupt acceleration, deceleration, etc. Um, there's no indication of the privacy policy yet, um, but the reason why this was included is because, well, this is just something to be aware of. It's just one of those like new futuristic technologies, and we're going to see how it's going to play with privacy, and it's almost never in a good way. And the final political story, India bans MasterCard from adding new customers. Reserve Bank of India has indefinitely barred MasterCard from issuing new debit, credit, or prepaid cards to customers in the South Asian market over non-compliance with local data storage rules. This can affect a lot of people, but it seems like the, um, the reasoning seems to be a good one. 
if I understand that correctly. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what their local data storage rules are, but basically, yeah, like you're not complying with whatever rules we have in place. So I just worry how that's going to affect, like, you know, um, lower income people and people who really depend on digital banking. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like on the surface, that sounds good. Like, oh, you're not complying with our, our regulations. But then I also think, like, you know, the U.S. says that stuff a lot, too. Like, oh, we don't want you. But there's normally an ulterior motive. So I wish I had a little bit more context. That's true. And, and I mean, on the other hand, there's a billion people in India, so maybe this will force them to comply. I don't know. Yeah. And now we're going to move over to the free and open source FOSS section. Audacity just, I don't know what they're doing, man. Ever They've just been going downhill. Audacity was under a lot of backlash, for those of you who don't remember, because they updated the privacy policy saying they could start handing over user data to, for government investigations. Audacity has responded. Yes. And they apologized. They changed the wording to reflect that they won't be collecting additional data moving forward. But they apologized. Either way, my response to this is, I don't know why you would have ever given Audacity um, internet access in the first place, to be honest. Like, it doesn't even have an auto-updater within the... You have to go to their website to download it. There's literally nothing within Audacity that uses internet. Um, so I always enable my firewall for anything that doesn't need internet, just because you don't know, right? Um, obviously, it's not an excuse for them to do this crap, but I guess it's good they apologized. But if they, they've already done, like, two things now, where it's like, they knew it was shitty, they apologized. They knew it was shitty, they apologized. It's only a matter of time, I think, before it happens again. All right, that's enough on Audacity. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Firefox. We've got mostly good news, and then we got one really, really bad piece of news. But we'll start with the good news. So, uh, first of all, DNS over HTTPS is now default for Canadian users. I, I know that's a little controversial for some people, but overall, I think it's a win, and I think it's better than regular DNS requests. Second, Firefox 90 will now support fetch metadata request headers. This went way over my head, but from what I understand, it kind of isolates tabs a little better and prevents metadata leakage. Um, someone can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about that. And it will introduce a better smart block in private browsing, which will help better protect against tracking. Now, the bad news, Microsoft Edge has surpassed Firefox in market usage. I, you can take that any way you want. You can take that as you lost to my, uh, you lost to Chrome twice, or you lost to Edge. I'm not sure which one is less embarrassing there. <laughs> Maybe, take your pick. They're just they're just setting themselves up for a good comeback story. That's all that's going on. <laughs> it was always our plan to trail at the halftime. <laughs> Sorry, Futurama. They reference. had us in the first half. Not gonna lie. <laughs> C Templar experienced a catastrophic incident with complete data loss. From what one of my readers told me, C Templar recently switched to a, I forget what they called it, um, some like reverse cluster, I don't know. Anyways, uh, I looked it up and from what I understand, it was basically kind of a more decentralized architecture, which makes sense. Prior to this event, they did not keep backups as part of their security strategy. Now, what happened was, that, that was kind of background for what happened was, recently one of those decentralized nodes went down and they lost a bunch of customer data. And like, it's totally gone. And it, it ranges. Some people simply lost like the emails and the attachments. Some people lost their entire accounts. If you were one of the people affected by this, you could contact C Templar. They have restored your account. They've also given most users, uh, to my knowledge, all users, but I could be wrong. They've like bumped them up one more account level. Like I was a free user and now I've got like a year of, year of paid. But if you had any emails or attachments in there, it's just totally gone. My personal opinion, I'm very upset that they still have not issued any official statement other than a Reddit post. I'm also a little upset that there's no there's no way to like back up your emails. Like 
you know, Proton has like a mass export thing. Uh, Tutanota, you can save your emails one by one. C Templar has nothing other than like copy and paste, I guess. They have said that they're gonna review their backup policies in response to this to make sure this doesn't happen again. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess on the plus side, there's no indication that the data was actually leaked. And personally, when it comes to a zero knowledge provider, I would rather them lose everything than leak it. But at the same time, like, I don't know, man, that's that's pretty bad that they didn't keep backups. And unfortunately, like, fortunately, I'm not a heavy C Templar user, so I didn't really lose a lot. But I mean, some people really lost a lot of stuff and that really sucks. And the fact that there's no way even for those people to take it upon themselves to do backups, like, I really hope they'll reconsider that. On the topic of emails, Tutanota has enabled Dane, which uh, is a DNS-based authentication of named entities. Uh, if you know what that is, you're gonna like that, um, but essentially it's gonna reduce man-in-the-middle attacks for Tutanota users, which is overall a plus. And I guess, you know, we're not gonna, to continue kind of um, with emails, we're not gonna talk about Proton Mail, but Proton VPNs, macOS and iOS apps um, are now helping bypass censorship. Um, so both of those clients feature alternate routing to help bypass censorship. I think their email client already does something like that on mobile. So yeah, it's going to be using OpenVPN and adding a smart protocol to automatically discover the best VPN configuration. Actually, just a quick note for any other iOS uh, Proton VPN users, the smart protocol thing turned on automatically and switched automatically to OpenVPN, which as an iOS user that competed with my uh, lockdown firewall. So if you're a Proton VPN user on iOS, go in and check if, if you're like me and you like using both of those. If you don't, then obviously do whatever. But if you like using both of those, go in and check your Proton VPN and make sure that it's not competing with your firewall. Cause I found that out by accident and I was like, oh man, what the heck? Definitely. Also, yeah, I guess that's a good tip. People don't know that too. Um, on Android, there's no way to combine something like NetGuard with a VPN. There's only one VPN slot. iOS kind of has two-ish. Um, if you use IKEV2 with your VPN, you can also use something like uh, Lockdown at the same time, which is pretty rad. Canonical, which is most well-known for developing Ubuntu, the Linux distro, they have been supposedly weathering the pandemic well. They turned a profit and they're back over 500 employees. That's pretty much the story. Um, I'm sure some of you will come up with your theories on why that is, but I think that they're just a successful company that makes a Linux distro. All right, our next story is about the very famous website, Privacy Tools, privacytools.io. If you're not familiar with them, you should be, because I think they're pretty cool. I think they're a lot of people's uh, first place for privacy. Anyways, they are looking for a new name, and I'm gonna quote their press release. They said, currently we don't have control over certain parts of the infrastructure, such as our domain name. This has been a problem which we've tried to resolve for some time. Changing our name and domain is the first step towards solving this problem. So from now until August 2nd, you can submit your ideas for a new name. They're basically going to rebrand. They're going to take control back over their infrastructure and keep going. And I think that's pretty cool because uh, I'm not trying to throw shade here, but I'm sure a lot of us have seen like they've had a lot of problems with um, their matrix server was down for like a whole week. Uh, I've seen a lot of I think it's like their pace bin has been down on and off. And this is step one towards fixing all of that. So if you have any ideas, go ahead and throw them in there. And last but not least in our FOSS section, uh, we have a whole bunch of updates. I'm just going to blow through these real quick. First up, Brave has, over the last several months, been working on uh, improved permission lifetimes, additional bounce tracking protections, ephemeral storage keep alive, and improved fingerprinting protections. Ublock Origin, I'm really excited about this one. They have added two new filter lists that 
kind of sort of make clear URLs redundant, not entirely, but mostly. So check those out. Germany's national healthcare system has adopted Matrix for their standard messaging. Tor Browser 10.5 is out. PFSense CE 2.5.2 is out. Plasma Mobile 21.07 is out. I think that's for like Pine phones and stuff. Debian Bullseye is planning their official release for August. And Canine Mail is back for those of you who are fans of that. So if any of those interest you, go check out the links. Now we're going to move over into Misfits, the final section of the week. We're almost done, everybody. Um, this one's kind of a juicy one. So um, a priest was outed for using Grindr, which is the gay um, meetup slash dating app. Um, says it's a warning sign. So The Pillar, which is a conservative Catholic news outlet, reported that um, this this priest, who's a high-ranking official in the U.S., was frequenting gay bars and using Grindr. Um, this report was based on an analysis of app data signals correlated to his mobile device using commercially available records of app signal data. Um, he has now been forced to resign. Um, so regardless of where you stand on, on churches, LGBTQ issues. You should just be concerned that, from a privacy perspective, this is not good. And also, like apps like Grinder and all these other applications are able to collect data. When it's put together with other things, it can really put things together on who you are. So make sure to keep that in mind when you're evaluating your threat model risks and your vulnerabilities. All right, our next story is about debit card apps for kids. There is an app called Greenlight. They have an app and a debit card for kids. The parents can control the app. They can put how much money is on it, how much they can spend, whatever. And, you know, the idea is to allow parents to help educate their children about financial responsibility and stuff like that. It's a cool idea. I get it. However, the real concern is the privacy policy, which basically says we don't sell data for minors. But the way the privacy policy is worded, it basically says that once they turn 18, they can do whatever they want with that data, which means that potentially these companies will have years of data that they can sell. They've already got a profile built up on these kids. And unfortunately, Greenlight is just one agency. There's, you know, this is a growing market. It's tough to be a parent nowadays. So uh, read the privacy policy and be aware of what you're doing for your kids. Like, please teach them to be financially literate, but at the same time, be literate on technology and the privacy policy. Our next story uh, is goes out to Tomo, our Discord mod, <laughs> who has who very happily has some parents with all the Samsung stuff. Samsung has washing machines, which has apps that tie to the machines for some reason, um, which now require access to your content, to your contacts in your location, which is just like, it's just so silly. It's just a washing machine uh, for clothes, um, but now it, it needs an app that needs access to contacts and location. So just remember to vet the apps you use and if you really need them and what permissions you give your apps and just avoid buying things that are IoT that really don't need to be IoT. And our next story is about TikTok. There is a nurse who says she was suspended over TikTok videos. Basically, she um, made some kind of dark humor jokes and the hospital did not like them and fired her and uh, or suspended her. I'm a fan of dark humor, but I'm also a fan of knowing your audience. Like, you got to be careful what you say publicly and what you post publicly. So that's really the lesson there is... Not everybody is going to get your sense of humor. Just be careful what you post publicly. Our next story, a grandfather died of a heart attack after miners swatted him over his rare Twitter handle. Um, so this is a pretty popular industry. Darknet Diaries, which is another podcast recently talked about it. Just remember that social media is, it can be literally dangerous. Just something to keep in mind. All right, our next story is just a reminder. It's the headline says, phishing continues to be one of the easiest paths for ransomware. So just remember, beware of phishing. It's still a huge problem. It's the number, like 
one of the number one ways that malware in general gets spread. I can't remember where I read this, but I, I feel like I remember reading somebody credible saying that the NSA uses phishing more than like anything else. Like phishing's a real thing, man. Don't don't take it lightly. Be careful. Our next story, um, a new mosaic loader malware targets software pirates via online ads. I guess there's one more reason not to pirate. If you're really careful, I guess you could, but privacy and security wise, like piracy is normally um, can be a little bit damaging in that sense. Um, and I know someone's gonna be like, oh, you got the wrong idea. We got we had someone left leave a comment like that some other time, and it's like, we had a very safe thing for us to recommend to like an overwhelming majority of listeners. You can always go against our advice if you know better, but we're not gonna tell people, yeah, I just download and pirate everything because it's just gonna be perfect. Somebody in my matrix room told me they do it because, uh, you know, like the moral, like I'm not gonna give my money to a big company and like, I'm not even gonna get it. And that's that. fine. Like yeah. it, it, you can believe in that, but like the advice we're gonna give to the overwhelming majority is you're probably gonna be safer if you go and get shit from official sources. Like, duh, do you not get that? You know? <laughs> Especially, it's one of those things like, yeah, you're just you're taking a risk. And if you know the risk and you want to take it, feel free, but just just know that you're taking a risk. Yeah. And that was it. Hopefully we didn't go too long and hopefully you guys are still with us. Thank you so much for listening. We want to remind you again that this podcast listener supported. There's Patreon, there's Monero, there's all kinds of cool ways to support. There's even a merch store with some cool shirts and posters and all kinds of things. I want to give a a quick personal <laughs> note. Um Henry and I have been trying to figure out why YouTube has like soft shadow banned me. I can only comment on my own channel and I can't comment on Techlore's channel or anything. So uh, if anybody like has a comment that you actually want me to reply to, reach out to me directly. Like I know um, someone asked me to cite uh, a source, uh, something I said a couple episodes ago. And unfortunately I couldn't respond to you because YouTube. So yeah, if it's something like that where you actually want a response, feel free to reach out. But otherwise, um, you know, feel free to just publicly post your comments as well. That's cool. I read them, I see them, I, I Henry felt, does too. I felt so, so bad because like, you, you kept messaging me like I'm leaving comments on, on the videos and they're not showing up and I'm like I swear I'm not doing anything like I <laughs> I just felt like like I looked through everything like all the held for review comments like all the spam comments everything like nothing was there um, and then we tested I, it with another channel and sure enough like YouTube doesn't like you yeah and like I didn't think you were doing anything I just thought maybe it was like maybe something I said that was like held for review or something I don't know like I believed you but anyways <laughs> we want to thank you guys for listening we're happy to know that you're trying to stay safe out there and we're happy to be back the final thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around make sure you are subscribed if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating otherwise you know again share it around uh, tell your friends and you know we're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and you can help us do that Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week.